and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Amazing. I love those Bible Project videos. Welcome to a slightly more close-up version of uh, the scene that you saw before. It's wonderful having a zoom lens for change. Um, We are, and and also welcome back to church uh, for a new year. Something we love to do in uh, in January uh, each year, you might have noticed, uh, is we like to spend the four or five weeks that we get in January talking about some spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Uh, you know, it's often a time of the year where we kick into uh, New Year's resolutions or we try and make changes in our lives. And so um, I wonder whether this year, uh, maybe some of your other uh, New Year's resolutions might have already fallen over, but I wonder whether this year it might be an opportunity to um, to to get into to God in a whole new way and ch- find some new ways of engaging with God. Um, the reason that we showed that Bible Project video is I wanted to give you a little bit of context for this series. Now, if you were around uh, for lockdown last year, uh, then you would know we did a series uh, called From Garden to City, and we had a look at the theology of work and rest. We realized that um, both work and rest are an important part of God's design for us as humanity. Um, and they're also meant to happen in a particular balance. And we heard a little bit about that in the video. But also something else that was important to note in that video is that it caught this uh, it caught this this story of the Exodus, where the Israelites found themselves in slavery in Egypt, and God miraculously led them out of that uh, into the wilderness uh, and gave them, uh, amongst other things, this this law of the Sabbath. Uh, and of course, the video explains so well how that becomes fulfilled in Jesus and the future fulfillment that we have for that in eternity. But something that I want to point out about that Exodus story is that when uh, when they were in Egypt, they weren't just uh, they weren't just slaves in the typical sense. But I believe that they were actually what was happening in Egypt was a corruption of the design that God has uh, for His people. It was a corruption of that um, balance that I talked about of work and rest that needs to happen uh, for us to be whole and living in accordance with our design. Uh, And I want to suggest, and the premise of this series, which is called Out of the Brickyard, uh, is that I actually believe that our society is in a similar position. I actually think our culture uh, has made us captives to productivity. In the same way that the the, uh, Israelites in Egypt had to work uh, seven days a week, they didn't get any rest, they didn't get any time off. Um, Our culture is actually driving us towards captivity Uh, in a very similar way, um, even if it uh, is metaphorical. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail, what that looks like over the coming weeks. But we're also going to take a look at uh, four different practices that we can take on to try and combat that brickyard uh, productivity culture. Uh, Now, these four practices have been lifted out of a wonderful book, uh, which I've got right here next to me. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer. He's the same guy that wrote Garden City, 
um, that we based that previous series on. Now, this series, it's not a book series as such. I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, it just it speaks so well to the modern condition, but uh, we're just kind of nicking uh, four chapters out of it and going through those. But the practices that we are talking about are silence, Sabbath, slowing, and simplicity. It's all nicely start with an S. Well done, John Mark Comer. Um, but tonight we are going to kick off with a look uh, at the practice uh, of silence. Now, before we kick into talking about silence, I want to start by telling us a little bit about a problem that I see within our culture. And the way I want to do it is I want to give you a bit of a music analogy. Uh, now, some of you might know that uh, before pastoring, before being a graphic designer on the side, uh, I used to be a full-time musician and I did a lot of my own audio engineering. So this is an audio engineering analogy. It's a bit nerdy, but stay with me because it's, it's really interesting and also captures something uh, that I, it's a beautiful analogy for something that I think uh, is happening within our culture. Now, something that's really important to understand about music in general, whenever you listen to music, is one of the things that makes it interesting is what's called dynamic range. Now, that nerdy term, dynamic range, all that means is the amount of difference between the softest parts and the loudest parts. And so, you you know, if you imagine a piece of music on the piano, there's some really quiet bits and some really loud bits. And that contrast is part of what gives music its interest. Now, when you record music, you have the ability using a thing called a compressor to reduce the amount of difference between the loudest and the softest parts of the music. Now, for reasons that we don't need to go into, uh, so so when you use a compressor, you can either add no compression, so exactly what uh, you know exactly what was played is the amount of dynamic range, or you can add a lot, so you really squash it so the loud parts same, sound the same as the soft parts, uh, which you know, obviously takes away some of the musicality. Um, And for reasons that I don't have time to go into, when you record music, generally the best way to compress it is somewhere in the middle. So don't just leave it uh, with all the dynamic range and don't completely squash it, but sort of smooth it out using a compressor. Um, And I'm going to show you a picture that will help illustrate this. Smooth it out to try and make it sound the best. Now, over the last 30 or or so years, there's been a really interesting phenomenon uh, where music has been getting louder and louder and louder. Uh, Somewhere, somebody, some executive probably decided that music sounds better when it's louder. And so let's compress music so that it's as loud as physically possible. So, you know, sometimes you listen to a song and kind of gets to the end and then the next one comes on and it's like way louder. Um, Technically, they're at the same volume because your speakers are only, you know, your earphones, your speakers are only capable of putting out a certain amount of noise. But when you add compression, you can make it sound louder. And so I'm going to try and put up, if uh, technology works for us, a little graphic that'll help you see what this looks like. There we go. So if you're familiar with waveforms at all, um, what's happened in music since the 80s through the 90s, and particularly in the 2000s, it just got to the point of being absolutely ridiculous where there was no dynamic range left in music. Now, you'll be pleased to know that this has kind of cooled off a little bit, particularly with uh, Spotify and um, services like that doing compression for you. But the reason that I take you down this slightly nerdy uh, technical sound engineering journey uh, is because I think the exact same thing is happening in our society. 
I think what is happening, I'm just going to try and do this without accidentally playing a video. Here we go. I think what's happening in our society and what's happening with our lives is exactly the same. We are living in a culture that is constantly demanding more of us. You know, it used to be that you could go home from work and leave work at work, but because of technology that's designed to make our lives easier, we're pretty much always on. It used to be that when you, you go and see a friend and you have great conversation and then you come home, but we are constantly in conversation with people because of our devices. We're constantly at the mercy of notifications, uh, which can take our distraction away from whatever or whoever we're, uh, we're with at any given time. I think we have a culture that really prizes busyness. And when you're always busy and hard to catch, that's seen as, as almost um, equivalent to success. And I don't think that's the way that we're supposed to live. You know, I, I, I'm not hating on technology here. You know, technology does some wonderful things, but the question is how do we want to use it and do we want to let it control us? Do we want to be like music that's been compressed so that it's so loud, but there's no more musicality left? Is that who we want to be? Now, it turns out the Bible actually has something to say to this. And so if you have a Bible handy, why don't you switch it on or, or open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read just a few verses, starting from verse 11 here. But while you're turning there, um, the story goes that um, the prophet Elijah has just um, done a major display uh, to all of the idol worshippers, and he's just totally uh, crushed all of the idol worshippers with fire. It's this very impressive scene. Uh, but off the back of that, the king decides that Elijah needs to die. And so he is uh, running through the wilderness, escaping. It's actually a fantastic chapter to read through. It's very dramatic. Um, uh, there's so much you can learn from it. But uh, Elijah is running and running for his life and finally uh, hides in a cave and, uh, and is, is waiting in the cave because he just desperately needs God's help. And so we pick up uh, in this cave. Let me pull up the passage. Then he said, uh, so this is God. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of a cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And the story continues and God encourages and strengthens Elijah. But the reason I've shared this passage with you today is I think often when we need to hear God's voice, we look for it in all of the spectacular and the miraculous things. You know, we, we often seek out a word of prophecy or we want to experience him uh, in worship. We open the Bible and we read and read until it speaks to us. And now all of those things are good. I'm not saying any of them um, are bad. In fact, um, I wish that all of us, I wish that I um, would pursue God um, in, in those ways more often. But sometimes I think the answer is not to look for, uh, for God to break through in spectacular ways, but to slow down enough uh, that we, we switch off all of the other voices that are speaking to us and we allow ourselves just to hear that still, small voice. 
Now, um, if you've been around the church for a while, you might have heard that phrase, still small voice, before. Uh, but something that I learned uh, reading through a commentary this week is that the, those words literalistically translated from the Hebrew, they don't quite make English sense, but having given you a bit of context, I think they're actually really beautiful. Uh, they Still small voice is literally translated as the voice of gentle silence. The voice of gentle silence. Isn't that beautiful? And so I wonder whether um, if you're seeking God for something, if you want to, if you need encouragement, if you're feeling tired or burned out, I wonder whether the thing that you need in this moment is not uh, more more activity, uh, is not more input, but actually some silence. Now, this is something that I kind of came across in my own faith journey, kind of accidentally. Uh, back before there was a pandemic, we used to do men's retreats uh, and I absolutely loved them. And one of the highlights for me was always uh, on, the, on the, the Saturday, we would have like an hour or two hours where we would go away uh, and we'd turn off our phones and we would actually just spend one to two hours with the Lord on our own. And I'd usually take a Bible or um, a journal or something with me. But what I found myself often doing for those long periods of time was literally just sitting in silence. You know, being attentive to the, the things around me, um, you know, not necessarily praying, but just, just waiting on the Lord and not, not trying to make up stuff, but just, just being present with God in silence. And there was, even though I wasn't doing anything, there were such beautiful times. Um, last year, I, wrote, I read another book that has a red cover, and I'm going to show you the cover of this because I, I got the, uh, the ebook version, but it's a book called, you, go, you probably can kind of see it, it's called The Deeply Formed Life by a guy called Rich Villadas. Again, highly, highly recommend this, this book. And I was reading it towards the end of last year uh, when we were on holidays in November, and one of the practices that he talks about um, for a deeply formed life is this practice of silent prayer. And the way that he described it, um, it sort of, it helped put words around what I'd experienced at those men's retreats. Uh, And so I want to just give us a little bit of his wisdom uh, before we give it a go. But, you know, being in silence with someone is is one of the most intimate and vulnerable things you can do. You know, Jen and I, we were driving back from from Coffs Harbour today and you know, we, we had obviously lots of wonderful conversation. We listened to some music. Uh, we tried to listen to a podcast, but Davey had other intentions. Um, but when Davey was asleep, we just had this period of sitting silently with each other. And it wasn't that we were, you know, just off in our own worlds, but we were present together in the silence. And I think it takes a, quite a lot of vulnerability for that, but it's actually really um, wonderful, I think, for relationships to be able to, to take that space together. Uh, and I think it builds in- intimacy. And so uh, to finish up, before we, we give this a go, we're going to uh, look at four tips uh, that Rich from the book cover I showed you earlier um, shares for the practice of silent prayer. Um, and so let me just read a short passage uh, from, from this book. Rich says, In basic terms, silent prayer is the practice of focusing our attention upon God through the simplicity of shared presence. It's a surrender of our words to be present with the word, with Jesus. There's been a lot of talk in our culture about the benefits of mindfulness. The difference between mindfulness and silent prayer is communion with a person. 
The object of mindfulness is often better psychological and physical health, which are, of course, very important things. But the object of silent prayer is communion with God. One of my favorite stories about this kind of communion comes from the life of Mother Teresa. During an interview, she was asked what she says to God when she prays. Her answer was simply, I don't talk, I listen. Believing he had understood what she had just said, the interviewer next asked, Ah, then what is it God says to you when you pray? Mother Teresa replied, He also doesn't talk. He simply listens. And I think that's such a beautiful illustration of what this practice actually is. We're not sitting there praying to God. We're not sitting there even listening to God. We're simply being with Him in silence. Now, for some of us, that sounds like the best thing ever. (laughs) For some of us, that probably sounds like the most terrifying thing ever. Uh, And for others, I wonder whether that's just a a thing that you go, you know what, that sounds like it's kind of nice, but that probably isn't uh, a thing that can happen for me, particularly if you're one of those uh, of us who have kids. Um, But I want to give us just a few tips that uh, that come from this book uh, to practicing silence, and then we're going to give it a go. So the first one is focus on relationship, not on technique. Uh, if you've ever tried meditation before or, or mindfulness, you'll know that um, there's all sorts of techniques available and strategies for practicing it. But when you're doing silent prayer, I want to encourage you, rather than uh, trying to use a particular technique or, or focus on that, um, start with the desire for relationship with God and to have communion with God. Um, Rich says, um, he reminds us that we're always beginners at prayer. You know, we're always learning. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to imagine that, that every other Christian has this wonderful, rich prayer life where they just have this, this open conversation with God. If that's you, please tell, tell me your secrets. But I think for the rest of us, I certainly engage with that. I feel like I'm always a beginner uh, with, with prayer. And so rather than focus on a particular technique or doing it the right way, just focus on being with God and then let the rest come. See what works for you. So that's tip number one. Focus on relationship rather than technique. Number two, normalize boredom. Something, uh, I, I remember when I was doing those, those quiet times during men's retreat, I'd often get about a third of the way in it and just honestly start to get a little bit bored. You know, I might feel like, uh, you know, a sense of God's presence at the beginning or, um, you know, I might have some great thoughts come through my mind, but after a while I start to, you know, kind of think about the time and, um, look around at what other people are doing and seeing, uh, seeing when we might be able to head back. And that might feel like, if, if you feel that, which you probably will if you spend any length of time in silent prayer, uh, I just think that that's part of the experience. And um, the wisdom that Rich has for this one is really good. He reminds us that God is not primarily a God of good feelings. You know, it's not actually about sitting there and having a wonderful um, feeling or encounter with God, but he describes it almost as a purifying experience of being willing to give up our sense of of feeling good or feeling busy or connected or important. Uh, And if we're feeling bored, but we keep pushing in, I think that really honors the Lord. And so let's just normalize boredom in this practice. The third uh, piece of advice he gives is to reframe distractions. Now, I think boredom could be classed as a distraction, but as you sit there um, in silent prayer, 
you're going to get distracted. It's just going to happen. I encourage you to try and minimize those distractions. You know, um, airplane mode on your phone is a wonderful thing. But uh, there's a quote that he includes from Thomas Keating uh, that says, if you experience 10,000 distractions in silent prayer, think of it as 10,000 opportunities to return to God. I thought that was pretty profound. So rather than uh, try and shut out the distractions uh, or pretending they don't exist or thinking that there's something wrong with you, let's try and uh, reframe them instead. Uh, So number three, reframe distractions. And the final piece of advice is remember that God is always waiting with open arms. As I was preparing this message, I got the sense that I think for some of us, we don't feel like you, could, you don't feel like you could in, engage in something as simple as silent prayer because you feel that you need uh, to do something a bit more spiritual or um, something better to kind of return to God. Uh, in the book, Rich uh, reminds us, um, you might be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but in that story, the son uh, return, comes home to his father, not because of a renewed heart, but because of the need to survive. And yet the father's waiting there with open arms. And so I just, I have this sense that, or or I know that um, God is always ready for us to step into his presence. The question isn't whether he's ready, it's whether we're ready. So with that said, we're going to give this a go. I was actually really hoping that we would get to do this all together in the auditorium uh, and have this kind of wonderful, long, awkward 10 minute silence. But alas, we're online. Um, Whether you are at home by yourself Uh, you're with a group, Uh, everyone gets to have a go at this. You're at home with kids, then just do the very best you possibly can. Um, Remember uh, what I said about reframing distractions. um, So we're going to put on a 10-minute timer, and I would invite you to just sit and be with the Lord. The objective is not to, to pray out loud or in our heads. It's not to necessarily receive a word back from the Lord, but it's simply to be in his presence. Now, this might terrify some of you. This might be the best thing ever for some of you, but I would love all of us to at least give it a go. So uh, make yourself comfortable. Sit back in your chair. Uh, If you're likely to fall asleep, maybe keep your eyes open. If you fall asleep, then just try and reframe it. Uh, But we are going to now go into a time. uh, I'm going to put a timer on the screen and uh, I'll see you. Well, assuming that the tech works, I think we're good. Uh, I will see you in 10 minutes.